Well, it's great to see every one of you. I hope you're prepared for that 90-degree weather coming upon us today. It's great to have you here this morning. You know, uh, you haven't seen me for three weeks, and I've missed you, and some of you have been saying you missed me, and it's always good to be missed. Uh, I wasn't playing hooky. I wasn't out on a beach. Uh, I wasn't doing any hang gliding or bungee jumping or parachuting out of airplanes. I was not on a vacation, and even if I was on a vacation, I wouldn't do most of the things that I just <laughs> stated right there. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, I, I took those three weeks in, in part because I was, yeah, I was getting one of those exhausted times in my life, and I, I'm sure that you've had those experiences before, and I hope that I can model for you <laughs> when you get to those times it's important to step back and do what you can to carve out some space where you can get back in touch with the Lord, get back in touch with yourself and who you are, and, and with your vision and purpose and all of those kinds of things, because we need to stay strong in those kinds of things in our lives. So, so that was part of the reason, but really what I did during those three weeks was I uh, went into, like you would say, semi-seclusion. I wasn't totally a hermit, okay? And I didn't go away. I stayed local. Uh, I visited an awful lot of Starbucks and Barnes and Nobles in the area. And I also have my room at home, my chair, where I do a lot of stuff, you know, and hang out there. Uh, and what I was doing during that time was I was uh, spending a lot of time praying and reflecting, uh, asking God to show me again in a fresh way what what does he have for, for Calvary Church? So, uh, so it was work. It was sort of work, but it was that kind of work that I was doing during those three weeks. And one of the things I did, uh, and I did this at home, uh, where I had the freedom to do it. You can't do this at Starbucks, what I'm about to describe. At least I don't think you can. <laughs> so, uh, I, I read through the book of Acts, and then uh, after reading through it, 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 it occurred to me, you know, Jim, you need to pray your way through the book of Acts. So I went back through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. I went, through, I went through the book of Acts. And I began to pray the things I was reading about the amazing impact of that first century church that their opponents said turned the world upside down. And they, this message of Jesus, no matter what the opposition was... <laughs> In all of the towns and villages, the Roman Empire could not constrain it. The, uh, the enemies among the Jewish people that didn't want it, they couldn't stop it. It was an uncontainable message because it was motivated it, through hearts and mouths that were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the impact of the church. And so, uh, and here was what my prayer was. I, and, I, and, I, and I walked around, we have a, in our house, you can walk around through the kitchen, the living room, and the dining room. You know, the, the living room, kitchen, what's that other room? <laughs> anyway, anyway you, can walk, you can walk around through the house. And so I was walking around, chapter 1 of Acts, chapter 2, praying my way through the book of Acts with this prayer. Lord, what you did in that first century church, the story I'm reading here, do that in and through Calvary Church. Do that today. Do that here. Do that now. I know that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit desires. He's not, he's not taking a vacation. He's not off on some other distracted thing. He's fully focused. 
And I believe he's wanting to call this church to be fully focused upon the mission that Christ has called us to and empowered us by through the Holy Spirit. So out of that came the title for this wrap-up sermon this morning, the series on the Holy Spirit. And I want to speak for just a few moments to this question. What kind of a church does the Holy Spirit want us to be? Because here's what I saw. In the immediate aftermath of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on those first 120 believers, there were three marks that emerged from that first Spirit-filled church. And the first one is this. The Holy Spirit wants us to be a united church. Luke says this more than once, but one place he says it is, is Acts chapter 4.32. He says the church was of one heart and one mind, or one, one soul. You can translate that word soul, mind. Uh, you know, the heart is uh, the seat of the passions and the desires. In other words, whatever fires you up in life, that's coming out of your heart. That's the motivation. The mind is our cognitive thinking faculty. Uh, that's where we do planning. That's where we get goals, set goals and, and, and engage life mentally. And you know what? Both of those are very important in Christianity. Christianity is not just about the heart. It certainly is. But it's also about the mind, too. And the world needs to see both of that. Uh, so, uh, now, but here's the point I want to make is this, that in that first church, both their affections, their desires, and their passions, and their minds, their thinking, they were all gelled together. They were in deep, deep unity. The Marines have a word for that. Okay, all right. There it is. Okay. Oorah. Okay, all right. The Marines have a word for that. Uh, the Army, Navy, and uh, Air Force have another word that sounds sort of like that. Yeah, there you go. All right, that's the, that's the right pronunciation. I, I wasn't sure. Okay, good. hoo Is that how you said it? hoo Okay. Those are the two words. Now, uh, where does, what, is that, what do those two words mean? They mean what we're talking about here this morning. Uh, it's... It's a bond that forms between soldiers that are preparing to defend our freedoms. Soldiers that are going into the battlefield, the trenches, and the explosions, and, and the, the, the horror of war. But I'll tell you what, they come out of that with a bond that is unbelievably tight. One heart, one soul. What is it that's binding them together? Well, I didn't know... I didn't know, I, I thought those were just sort of words that were made up. They didn't really have a meaning. I discovered what those two words mean. They mean charge. They mean engage the enemy. And that's what the Holy Spirit has come to weld our, okay, it's, what is the mission? Every, every soldier, every Marine, every soldier knows the mission. And what is the mission of the, sol the armies and, and, and all of our military of the United States? It is to defend the freedoms of this country that you and I enjoy every single day with every single breath that we draw. We live in a free society, and it's there because of men who say, hoorah and ooyah. That's why it's there. Now, if you go to uh, 
Arlington National Cemetery. I've been there a couple times. If you go down Route 55 to uh, the Lincoln National Cemetery, and you stand there in the silence of those cemeteries. But you know what? If you listen closely in the silence of those cemeteries, I'll tell you what you're going to hear. Hoorah! You're going to hear that from coming up out of those graves. Because there is a price tag to be paid. There is a cost when you take those terms to your lips. And there is a cost to following Jesus Christ. There is a cost to opening up your heart and saying, Holy Spirit of God, fill me. Fill me with a love for Jesus Christ that will cause me to lay down my life. Lay down my life for this world, for the mission that you have given us. And we have a mission, don't we? I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But our mission is to take this name of Jesus, this good news, this love of Christ, to take it into our worlds, outside the walls of this church, to our neighbors, to the people we work with, and influence them toward the kingdom of God. That's, that is why you and I are a church. That is why we are on this planet is to let the Holy Spirit use our lips, use every gift and faculty we have to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. We live in a, okay, let, it, let me put it this way. Hoorah is engage the enemy, charge. The Holy Spirit's word to this church is charge. Get up, engage the enemy. What is the first thing that Jesus did? modeling this very thing. After he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, what's the first thing he did? The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to a 40-day spiritual battle with the enemy. We are led, we are called and empowered by the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus to do the very same thing, to engage the enemy, to engage the evil that is destroying people's lives. Jesus said, my goal, my mission is to set the prisoners free. That's our mission. And the Holy Spirit, if, if, the whole, if we will unite our hearts around that, then we, we, we can see God do what he did in the book of Acts. That can become our story as well. Now, uh, Jesus prayed for this kind of unity the night before his death. Let's, let's just listen to these words again. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Who's that? The first century church. He's, al he's also looking to the future church, us. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That, and listen to this, that all of them may be one. And then he says this, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. You know, we have to hear, okay, if we stop and catch this, the same, the same uh, tightness and unity and closeness and love that has bound the Father and the Son, the eternal Father and Son for all of eternity. Can you imagine how much love there is between the Father and the Son and how much unity there is? That's the standard. That's the measure to which we, Calvary Church, that's what we're being called to, to love each other the same way the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, that I love you and you love me and you across North Calvary, Calvary North and Calvary South and everything in between, that you, you are, that's how we love one another. That's the unity. And then Jesus goes on and says it this way. 
may they also be one in us. So, and this is the reason. May they be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world that we're seeking to draw to Christ, they're not going to believe that Jesus is really anything special until they can see a church the kind of which we're describing this morning. That is one heart and one soul. Because if they, don't, if they look at the church and see nothing different than the broken relationships and the division and the splittering and the fragmentation and the anger and the rage, if they look at the church and see the same thing, then what is it that's going to draw them to Jesus Christ? Nothing, because there's no difference. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for who? For one another. He's not even saying for the world. That's going to spill out. But first, it's the love that you have for each other. If we can't love each other, then how are we ever going to love the world? So this is a profound love. And it's not just a, an, a cognitive or intellectual kind of, oh yeah, love's a great concept. No. It is a truth to be lived out in flesh and blood, in the hard times, in the stresses of life, in those, in those potential divisions that come among God's people. This is where the test of whether we are in the spirit or in the flesh really comes to show. And then the Apostle Paul describes it like this, and then we'll move on to the second thing, the second point. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He sort of describes what this, what this unity is like. He says it this way. Be completely humble and gentle. Completely humble and gentle. That's a mark of the Holy Spirit. And then he says... Be patient. And then he explains what he means by that in the next phrase. Bearing with one another. None of us are perfect, right? We all make mistakes in judgment. We're all going to offend each other once in a while. It's going to happen wherever people are together. It happens in marriages, right, Jill? I mean, we... (laughs) Okay. It's going to happen. But here's the key. If we're walking in the spirit, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bear with that person. And I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to do all I can to build and restore that relationship. And I'm going to do it in a spirit of humility and meekness and gentleness and care. Realizing that I've got some perfections in my own life. So that's, okay, so the first thing the Holy Spirit wants. He wants a united church. Now the second thing the Holy Spirit wants is one I really get excited about. He wants an intergenerational church. And, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good. Uh, He wants an intergenerational church. The very first point Peter makes in his very first sermon, and this is the very first sermon of the church era. It's the first sermon in the Jerusalem church. The very first point is this. Let me read it from Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Here we go. He's quoting the prophet Joel. And from, Joel lived in 950, 950 B.C. So God's wanted to do what Peter's going to say. He's wanted to do it for a long time. In fact, it goes back before that. It goes back to Abraham. Anyway, that's a different sermon. But in the last days, God says... Now, what are the last days? The last days are the days that began 
when Jesus came the first time, and they're going to end way across history when he comes the second time. Jesus came the first time announcing the kingdom of God and calling his church to go out and preach the good news about the kingdom. That kingdom is someday going to come in its full expression and beauty when Jesus comes again. That's an exciting time. But we're in between that now, along with the first century church, the second century church, and the 21st century church. And so what that means is this. In the last days, that means right now, here, 9, 1045 a.m., Lamont, Illinois, right now here, in the last days, today, God says this, I will pour out my spirit on all people. God in heaven, this moment, looking upon us, his deep longing is to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us in this room, every single one of us. Then he goes on and says this, and guess who's front and center in this? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men, I'm going to put in there equally, your young women will see visions. Now, let that sink in for just a second. Um, God wants youth, and I'm talking about boys and girls, and junior high students, and senior high students, and young adults. That's, that's youth. God wants to fill youth with his mighty Holy Spirit from the earliest days of their lives. This whole idea of the wild oats theory, that, hey, uh, you know, until I'm about 25, it's just expected of me to go out and sow my wild oats and mess my life up a little bit doing it. <laughs> that's not... Guess whose idea, guess where that idea came from? That didn't come from heaven. <laughs> that came from an enemy that we're trying to engage on behalf of our kids. Here's what we want to nurture in this church. I want, this, I want the environment of Calvary Church, from the nursery out there to this room in here, I want, that to be, I want this environment to be filled with spirit-filled people who are modeling and, and nurturing and training and teaching and helping our children grow up and move into this kind of a reality of their faith, a reality of God. It's not just some sort of idea for old people. God is saying here, this is first of all for young people. This is first of all for youth. What he's talking about here. And he says this, two things that the young men and young women are going to do. And these are the two th same two things that the prophets in the Old Testament did. What did prophets in the Old Testament do? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Elijah, all these guys. God gave them a vision. They could see what God wanted to do in their generation. God gave them a vision. And the second thing he did was they, the, the prophets did, they prophesied. What's that? They spoke. They became a voice for God. Speaking to their generation. There's a relevancy here. Now, you'll notice I'm not speaking with my leisure suit on this morning. I had one back in the 70s. And some of you don't even know what a leisure suit is. You probably don't want to. Uh, I, know, I know you're never going to want to wear one. But 
Anyway, here, a leisure suit. I had one. It was a plaid, brown and white. I had a white belt to go with it. I had white shoes. And, and I had a huge collar that came out, a black, brown shirt that came out over the collar. That was me in the 1970s, standing in front of a congregation preaching. Okay, now, you can picture that. But if I was in here today with that on, I don't think you'd be hearing anything I'm saying. Okay, because the methodology would not be relevant. The delivery wouldn't be relevant. Young people... <laughs> You, you have an ear to the culture. You have an ear to the culture. You know what's going on. God needs you on the front lines of this spiritual battle. He needs you. He's calling you. And he wants to fill you with this mighty Holy Spirit. Uh, I will also say this to our young people that here's a promise. You can guarantee, you can guarantee this is guaranteed. If you will open your heart when you are young to be filled with the Spirit of God, if you will come to Jesus and say, fill me with your Spirit and allow him to, make, to make, give you the mission that is on the Holy Spirit's heart, the mission of going into the world, if you will let that happen, then you can be assured that the Lord is going to guide every step of your future into the, the career, the life, that he has for you. Because think about it. If the Holy Spirit, who centers his attention on Jesus, comes into your life, and he's going to center your attention on Jesus, and Jesus will lead you step by step into the career. Now, when I was 16, I was going into my senior year of high school. Uh, I received Christ when I was in third grade. It was very sincere. But by the time I got into junior and senior high school, <laughs> faith in Jesus meant very little to me. And I was more interested in baseball and Jill <laughs> and uh, then Jesus. And Jesus sort of receded into the background for me. Uh, and I used, to tell, I used to say to the Lord, Lord, can you just back off a little bit? You can be a part of my life, but I don't want you at the center of my life. And there was, so that senior year of high school, there was a... Uh, there was a, a missionary that came, and I've told you this before. And he came, and he, he called, the church, he called a, a prayer meeting. And I reluctantly went to that prayer meeting uh, because some others in my family were going, so they begged me or coaxed me to go along, and I went. And that night, he challenged us to pray, to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was about a dozen of us in that prayer meeting, in a living room. And so I knelt down by a chair, and I just began to, for the first time probably ever in my life, to really get serious with the Lord. And I began to pray. I prayed, I don't know, prayed half hour, 45 minutes, I don't know. But you know what? In that time of prayer that night, the Holy Spirit came into the room. He came into my life. And he profoundly <laughs> changed my whole attitude. And he reconnected me to my faith in Christ. And I came out of there that night with a sense of direction. I was planning to be a Pennsylvania State policeman. That was one of the things I was looking at. I was also looking at being a forest ranger because I love the woods. Uh, and, but I came out of there that night with this desire 
to go and prepare to be a pastor. That, came out, that did not come from me. That came from somewhere else. That came from, from the Lord. Now, the Lord knows the calling he has for every one of you here. And so I'm not saying he's going to call you to be a pastor. What I'm saying is he may call you to be a scientist, a lawyer, a teacher, a doctor, in the trades, wherever. God has a good place, has a plan for you and your vocation. But here's the point. And that's, this is why it's so important that we have multiple vocations and calling. is because when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we take Jesus into that vocation. And we become his witnesses. And we become salt in the earth and light in all the dark places around us. So never, never have a, a diminished view of your vocation. I want to tell you something. Your vocation and what God wants you to be is way up here on a scale of 1 to 10. It's a 10 because you're going to be his light in that place. But in order to be that, to have the boldness to do that, to have the, even the motivation to do that, we have to have the spirit of God in our lives. So he wants... Uh, uh, okay, now, that's the, the youth. I'm talking to youth right now. Please, if, if ever if I've preached a message, if ever I've stood on this platform and preached a message, I pray that every young person in this room will hear what I just said. This is, your life depends upon what I'm talking about here today. Your future depends upon what I'm talking about in this room today. It does. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. If you've been fighting the Holy Spirit like I used to fight the Holy Spirit, stop that. Open your heart. Receive him. He'll change the course of your life. But he also talks here about, he, well, I would probably have stated this differently than Peter did, but he says, your old men, your old women will dream dreams. I would have said older, okay? Uh, so we're not left out of this either. All of us, whatever our age, we are called to do the work of prophets in our generation, to see and dream what God is giving us to dream, to see it, and then be a voice to express it wherever we live, wherever we go. Finally, so an intergenerational church. The third thing here is this. The Holy Spirit wants us to be a multiplying church. So unity Intergenerational, multiplying. Acts chapter seven, 6, verse 7 says this. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The word there in some translations is it multiplied. And then it says this. Even many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now that's something. Because you know what? The main opponents to the gospel were the Jewish religious leaders. Those are the guys that put Jesus on the cross just a few weeks before this. Even these hard-hearted people, many of them came to faith in Christ too. Why? Because you know what? When a, when a church is filled with the Spirit, when God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit, he gives us power to speak this gospel in a penetrating way. And he can do marvelous things. You may have some loved ones today whose hearts are very hard to the gospel. Don't ever give up on them. Here's what you can do to help them. Make sure that you every single day are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's the best thing we can do. And pray. I'll say more about that as we close in a second. The second, okay, Acts chapter 16, verse 5 says this. So the churches were strengthened 
in their faith, and they grew daily in numbers. You know, the Holy Spirit is always calling the church to be making more room for more people that he will be adding to his church. He does it in the same way that parents, when they get the great news that a, a child is on the way, what happens with parents when that happens? Well, a lot of times you have to build a new room onto your house or at least clear out one and fix it up and put all the, the bassinets and, and all the other stuff that goes along with that. You, you start furnishing that new room. You make room. Or sometimes you sell your house because it's too small and you go get a new one so you can accommodate the growth. Well, in Acts chapter 14, the church started out as a number of about 120 people praying. And then after Peter's message, it grew to a number of 3,000. And what they did as the church grew, they, be, they found more room to accommodate that growth in two ways. They found a large place for everyone, all the thousands of them, to gather together in a service. And that was in the temple courts. And the other place, they found small places for the church body together in what must have been hundreds of small groups that were gathering all through the city of Jerusalem. And that's sort of the model that the early church formation took. Large group gathering, come and worship in the awesomeness of the, of the growing size of God's kingdom. And then, in order for love to really flow and people's relationships to get deep, connect with a small group meeting in one of the homes in the city of Jerusalem. Keep growing in your faith, encouraging, praying for one another, all those things that happen when believers who love each other get together around the gospel and around God's word. So the Lord is continuing to add people to our church family on a regular basis. I can see some that are brand new, relatively new. I can see you here this morning. Um, about 60% of our congregation, 50 to 60% of our congregation, this is true of all churches, 50 to 60% of a church congregation in this day and time, they're not here on every Sunday. So we're about half of our church family here today. Uh, that's a different sermon too. I'll get to that later. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I'm not going to harp on that one. So anyway, uh, but here's, I, I want to announce this, that um, on September 10th of this year, three months from now, uh, we are going to be going to that second service that we spoke of about a year ago. Uh, that is going to happen. We will have a 9 a.m. service and either a 1045 or an 11 a.m. service. We're negotiating that one. Uh, and uh, this will not only make more room for more people that we can keep on inviting and influencing, coming to check the church out, but it's also going to um, provide an option for people's schedules, a little more flexibility for people's schedules, early service, later service. Uh, it's also going to provide some new exciting opportunities for people to serve because we're going to have to double our children's ministry staff. We're going to have to have more greeters and ushers and all those kinds of things. But it, it's just, it gives more opportunity for us to jump in and roll up our sleeves and, and do the work of God's kingdom together right here within the walls of the church. And uh, so we'll be emphasizing these things over the next few months and talking a little bit more about how you can get plugged in and involved in uh, some of those ministries. 
Now, at the same time, we're going to be adding more small groups to our church. And it's sort of a little bit of a revised vision, a refreshed vision of all that small groups can be. And we're grateful for every small group that is meeting in our church right now and the fruit that has been produced and is being produced in every single one of them. We thank you for that. And for everyone who's leading, we are so grateful. And so we're just wanting to expand, create more small groups, new small group leaders, uh, so that we can grow and multiply and be that kind of a church that the Holy Spirit's calling us to be. So, uh, so what kind of a church does the Lord want us to be? United, intergenerational, and multiplying. And all of that depends upon an action step. One vitally important action step. And this is the same action step that Paul gave to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 18. He said this, he said, don't get drunk on wine, which will lead you to debauchery. That'll just lead your life to collapsing and falling apart. That's what wine does, that's what drugs do. They, they tear your life apart. Don't do that, he says. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled there is, it's in the present tense. It doesn't mean you get filled once. It means filled and filled again and filled again and filled again. It's, it's a daily experience of turning your heart open to God and saying, Lord, today is a new day. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And taking time to pray and ask him to do that. Now, so there's the action, there, there's the, uh, there is the action step. Now, I'll close with this illustration. Whenever you go into a restaurant, many times anyway, you walk in and they have the cups on the table, but the cups are turned face down. You've noticed that. And, uh, and then the waiter or waitress will come along eventually and say, oh, did you want coffee? And when they say that, what I do <laughs> is I'm saying yes, yeah, so I take my cup and turn it over, and then they pour the coffee in. So here's my question for you this morning. I think it's sort of similar to, to the, ch the challenge I'm presenting is God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Which way is your cup turned? Is it turned down or is it turned up? The action step is this. Take this week, take time out of your week this week to get alone with the Lord and with all the sincerity and openness of your heart, say, Lord, I'm, I'm turning my cup up to you. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me to overflowing with your spirit. And then every day of your life, turn that, keep that cup turned up. Uh, get with a friend. Get with married people. Get with your partner. Pray. Get your family together. Pray. Take this serious. Take this serious. Because the Holy Spirit's only going to fill people that are seeking him to be filled. This isn't just some sort of casual thing we can breeze through and, and hope that the Holy Spirit fills us. It won't work that way because he won't. That comes from a earnest thirsting and hunger for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your presence. Lord, we desire your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord. We're completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to, to keep us connected and focused on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
So, Lord, uh, I pray this morning that you will stir in all of our hearts, begin it with me, a, a new and deep thirst and hunger for the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray regardless of our age, young, middle-aged, older this morning, Lord, that that is our deepest longing in all of life, is to know Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and then share Jesus with other people around us. Father, we give you praise for this and thank you, Lord, for, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.